Well, I invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 19. Very familiar psalm for many of you. Psalm chapter 19. Um, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 there. Uh, psalm chapter 19. The Psalm of David. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. How can you read that and not recognize that God is here? He is not silent. The psalmist tells us that God has spoken to all of creation through the very creation that He created. And so today we continue our series on defending the faith. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, the purpose, the real purpose of this series is threefold. The one is, is that, that we would not only know what we believe, but in fact we would know why we believe. That um, this is the, ultimately those uh, knowing why we believe determines how we live our lives. Uh, the second reason that this, uh, for this series, the reason why I've, I've thought about, thought that this was important for us as a church is that we might discover that our faith, the Christian faith, is in fact a reasonable faith. In other words, it it's, it's, it's a logical, it's, it's not a blind faith, it's not a fantasy, it's that in fact God's Word, it really gives us some objective, it gives us a rational, it gives us rational and solid answers to life's basic questions. And I believe that the Christian faith is, only, is the only faith with answers that make sense. And then finally, I think the, my hope is, is that we would develop some tools that would help us to be more effective in not only defending our faith, but also in sharing our faith, sharing the gospel with, with people around us. But remember what the, what the psalmist said. He said, the heavens are, are, are uh, the heavens declare. They, they shout, they scream out, they, they, uh, they um, share the glory of God. The, the skies, he says, the, look at the skies, they proclaim, they make a bold statement. They talk about they, they make a bold statement of the work of, of, his, of, of his hands. Day after day, he says, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Um, there, there's, a, there's a pattern to that, and it, it's something that we can count on, and it's consistent. And, and he says, there is no speech and there is no language where their voice is not heard. There is so much that we can learn through our a careful study of our amazing universe, of which we are just a very small part 
In fact, I'm convinced that a careful study of this world and, and, and a careful study of humanity will not, only, will not lead us away from a belief in God. It will not weaken our belief in God, but in fact it, would, it serves to strengthen our belief in God. And as we said last week, I think it helps us to answer some of life's greatest questions. Questions like, where did I come from? Uh, why am I here? What, what is my reason for being? Uh, what is my purpose? What, what, uh, does life really have any meaning? Or how about what's wrong with the world? We think about that now. Um, I think, Carol, you mentioned earlier in the service that you know, Franklin Graham has asked us for us to be praying today, to be praying for our world, not, not just the world, but the United States and for the things, not just the United States, but actually the world, right? is what he is saying. Because of all the things that are going on, we've got a political mess right now. We've got, we've got all this, this, this bickering and everything else going on. You know, so what's wrong with our world? What's wrong with me? What's wrong? You know, will any of that stuff ever be made right? Where am I going? What's going to happen to me when I, when I die? Um, you know, all of these questions are questions, and, and in fact, that people all around us are asking those questions. Make no mistake about it, we are asking as a society, with all of the things that are clamoring for our, t uh, you know, in terms of the meaning and the purpose of life, people have questions. And yet, before we can answer those questions, we have to really come to, to grips with, we have to really be able to answer the two most foundational questions that, that exist, and that is, Number one, does God exist? And number two, can I actually know him? So believe it or not, there are people that actually believe that he exists, but they don't believe that he's a personal God. They don't believe that we can actually know him. So we're going to begin working on that first question this morning about you know, knowing, uh, does God in fact exist? And, and once again, I realize that every single one of us in this room here uh, we have most likely, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's the case, but we've most likely come to the conclusion that God does in fact exist. We believe that, that's, that's part of our faith. The question is, can we defend that? Can we in fact defend what, that, that to, to the people around us? Does the existence of God actually make sense logically? And uh, so as we seek to, to answer those, those questions, the, the question of, of, of does God exist, um, I want us to know that, that there are really two, only two options available. Only two. God exists, and he created everything that there is, or God does not exist, and evolution is responsible for all there is. Those are the two options that we have. Can't really have even a mixture of the both. They don't, they don't, they don't play well with each other. They really don't. It's one or the other. Either God exists and he created all there is, or evolution exists and it creates, it is responsible, I'm sorry, God does not exist and evolution is responsible for creating all there is. Dr. Robert Jastrow, he was a geologist, astronomer, he was a physicist, and also an agnostic, basically meaning he didn't know, he's, he claimed he didn't know whether there was in fact a God. He said, perhaps the appearance of life on the earth is a miracle. Notice this next statement. Scientists, he says, are reluctant to accept that view, but their choices are limited. You hear that? 
Either life was created on the earth by the will of a being outside the grasp of scientific understanding, or it evolved on our plant, planet spontaneously, in other words, poof, there it was, through chemical reactions occurring in non-living matter lying on the surface of the planet. See, evolution believes that nothing plus time plus chance equals everything, and it removes the very necessity of God. Uh, several years ago, um, and, and this is something I read this week, so I, I wasn't there to hear this firsthand, but PBS uh, Nova broadcast, uh, an Emmy award-winning broadcast um, on, on evolution, and this is how it opened, and I want you to see this. Should be up on the screen now. Four and a half billion years ago, this article or this broadcast said, the young planet Earth was a mass of cosmic dust and particles. It was almost completely engulfed by the shallow primordial seas. Powerful winds gathered random molecules from the atmosphere. Some are deposited. Some were deposited in the seas. Tides and currents swept the molecules together, and somewhere in this ancient ocean, the miracle of life began. Somewhere. The first organized form of primitive life was a tiny protozoan, which is a one-celled microscopic animal. <coughs> Millions of protozoa populated the ancient seas. These early organisms were completely self-sufficient in their seawater world. They moved about their aquatic environment, feeding on bacteria and other organisms. From these one-celled organisms evolved all life on Earth. In 1995, the National Association of Biology Teachers made this statement, life is the outcome of unsupervised, impersonal, unpredictable, and natural processes. In other words, God is not necessary, God is not welcome. Well, I would beg to differ. I'm here to say that evolution, despite what many in the academic community would like us to believe, it really does face some very serious challenges. Atheism, which says that there is no God, is, is not a logical, nor is it even a reasonable position. Atheism is actually a rather bold claim, and I believe that it's one that many atheists do not really understand that they are making. Now, why would I say that? Well, first of all, they say that God does not exist. Now, we talked about some of this last week, but the only way that you can actually make that claim, that God does not exist, is if you know everything about everything. If you don't know if you don't know everything about everything, then there is always the possibility that God could exist. Remember, we, had, we used the illustration we were talking about. If you said that, there is, that there's gold in, in Alaska, all you would have to do is find a single speck somewhere. But if you said there was no gold in Alaska, you would have to unturn every single rock, every single crevice, and go everywhere, know where everything is, and, and look for that. A much harder thing to, to, to prove. And so therefore, to disprove God, that God exists, the atheists must be all-knowing. They must be, they must be uh, able to, to be in all places at all times. In other words, they would have to become the very thing that they are trying to disprove, God. The best that they can say is, 
I don't know. Which personally, and we won't get into this, but personally I think that that's a, um, it's an intellectually lazy statement to say that you don't know. Because how did we start it out? The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16, says that, you know, you look at all the things that God has created and, and man is without excuse. It, it just screams, everything around us, it just screams that there's evidence. And then furthermore, to deny the existence of God and accept that theor the theory of evolution, you would actually have to believe this. Number one, I got this up on the screen, we're asked to believe that nothing produces everything. We're asked to, to, to believe that, number two, that non-life produces life. We're asked to believe that randomness produces fine-tuning. We know what fine-tuning fine is basically that all this, this, or this chaos and this uh, randomness that's around us actually creates something like DNA or it creates all the intricacies or the complexities of our world. That's the fine-tuning. And then four, chaos produces information. C.S. Lewis once said that atheists have to persuade themselves and others that most of the human race throughout history has been completely wrong about the question that matters the most. Is there a God? See, throughout most of our histories as a civilization, the, 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 the assumption was is that there is in fact a God. It's only been within the last 150 years that we've been throwing that out and, and saying, no, that isn't true. And, and, and then finally, uh, to deny God and to accept evolution, you would have to ignore the fossil record. See, what, what most people don't understand is that, well, they tell you that the, that the fossil record actually gives us evidence of this missing link, so to speak, and, and, and that, that is within this. Well, you've seen all those missing links. I think I got a picture of it. You've seen things like that, and they say somewhere in the middle there's a missing link to kind of transition to, from one thing to another. And, and, and the what, what most people don't understand is the fossil record has yet to produce anything, uh, any missing links the, uh, of, of one species involving into another species. Not one fossil record out of an estimated one billion specimens gives evidence at all that all living creatures share a common ancestor. Nada, none, zero, zip. In fact, Darwin knew that. He acknowledged that major groups of animals suddenly appeared. Not evolution, but they just suddenly appeared, formed in, 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 in uh, they, they appeared, uh, suddenly appeared fully formed in the fossil record. And he admitted in this, and I quote, he said, this is perhaps the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. See, Darwin thought that future discoveries would prove his theory to be true. But in reality, over the last 150 years, the discoveries have not even come close to validating such a theory. In fact, Jonathan Wells, a PhD, gives this illustration. He says, imagine that you're on the goal, of a goal line of a football field. That line, he says, will represent the first fossil, a microscopic, single-celled organism. Now, he says, you start marching down the field. You reach the 20th, 20-yard line. You get to the 40-yard line. And then you're approaching the, um, you get to midfield. 
and you are approaching the other goal line. You just keep moving towards the other goal line. And he says, all you've seen this entire time are, are these microscopic single-celled organisms. You come to the 16-yard line, and, and uh, it's on the far end of the field. You come to that 16-yard line, and now you start to see these sponges and maybe some jellyfish and some worms. And then all of a sudden, boom! In the space of a single stride, all of these other forms of animals suddenly appear. And in response to that, author David, or I'm sorry, author Dwayne Schmidt says this. He says, that means that none of these depicted in images in all of those museum displays, in all of our textbooks, in all the drawings in the textbooks, none of them can be backed up by even one example in the fossil record. In fact, the, the fossil record is just amazing, some of the things that we're learning about that. Physicist John Polkinghorn says this. He says, a big fundamental question like belief in God or disbelief is not settled by a single argument. It is too complicated for that. What one has to do is consider lots of different issues to see whether or not the answers one gets add up to a total picture of what makes sense. So what I want to do today is I want to begin to give us some solid uh, some arguments, solid arguments for the existence of God. And actually what I want to do is I just want to give you one. Um, but hopefully to demonstrate that our faith is in fact reasonable. It's, it's, it's a reasonable faith. That it, it's a, you don't have to check your brains out the, at the door kind of faith, right? And, and that our faith is actually a reasonable step in the direction that the evidence is pointing us to. So I want to look at, and here's the big word for it, I want to look at the cosmological argument. This is the, this is the argument from the cosmos, or looking at our universe. That's all it's saying. It's, the, it's the, the argument. It's an argument of beginnings. It's an argument, basically, of cause and effect. Um, we had, uh, um, when I was teaching this last week at, at the, um, I don't have anything here. I was looking for something here that might work. We were looking, we were at the, um, when I was at Cornerstone here, we were talking about cause and effect. We kind of get the understanding of cause and effect. Um, it has to have, an, a, in order for the effect to happen, like this book falling on the floor here, it has to have an, a, an appropriate cause or um, it, it, a legitimate cause for that book to fall on the floor. How many, would you, how many of you would say that if a fly landed on this book that that would knock that Bible on the floor? Well, it probably would if it was like right on the edge, maybe. But we wouldn't look at the book on the phone on the floor and say, well, this isn't just the book. This is the Word of God. So it has more power than we know that. So we know this is a supercharged book. So, um, but, but we, we, we would never look at that and go, oh, a fly put that there, right? Um, we, we, would, we certainly would not do that. Um, we would say that, you know, would this be a legitimate cause? I don't want to knock it on the floor, but... But would this be a legitimate cause to come in, as a, a legitimate cause and effect statement, that um, the pastor was preaching his sermon and he swung his arm and accidentally knocked the book on the floor? What's, that's the, the effect is the book on the floor. We know that there's cause and effect. That's a legitimate scientific um, law, the law of cause and effect, and we just know that that happens. And so it's, it's not, um, that's really what the cosmological 
um, argument is all about. Well, a doctor and an engineer and a politician, by the way, were arguing as to which profession was older. You heard about that, right? So I think it just happened this last week. Um, anyway, the, art, the, uh, the doctor um, says, you know, well, uh, you know, it had to have been me. Without any doctor, you know, any kind of a physician, mankind would never have survived. And so I am sure that mine is the oldest profession as a doctor. And no, said the engineer, you know, before life began, there, there was actually complete chaos. And, and it took an engineer to create some semblance of order from that chaos. And so engineering is older. And, but, but, chirped in the triumphant politician, who created the chaos? <laughs> the discussion over who is who or what kicked off all of this, that's an excellent question to explore. And I think it begins with a real undeniable reality, which is the very existence of the universe itself. And believe it or not, there are some people who have, been, who have tried to convince us that all of this that we see all around us is in fact just an illusion, that we are just an illusion. Uh, one, see, one student who was seeking to give his professor a hard time asked a contradictory question. He said, how do I know that I exist? And the professor paused, and then he responded, whom shall I say is asking? <laughs> see, a great question is, I think, you know, when you're looking at this kind of stuff is, well, why is there something rather than nothing. And I think that the answer to is, is not in the something, but it's in something behind, be, uh, behind the something. And see, the reality of the universe, it, it just demands that, that there be an uncaused first cause to all that there is. And so one version of this argument goes something like this, and I have it listed up on the thing here. This is actually the Kaleem argument. It's a cosmological argument. And it says that everything that, start, the first point is, is logic, it's real simple logic, but everything that has a beginning has a cause. We would agree with that. The second part of it goes, the universe has a beginning. The third part says, therefore, the universe has a cause. It's just simple logic. It's, uh, it is. Something or someone had to kick all of this stuff off that we call a universe and the world. And in explaining the universe, there must be an attempt to answer the question of its primary cause. Well, some of the theories that scientists have come up with, you would just be, uh, you know, some of them are really mind-boggling. They're, they're really just absolutely incredible. I mean, I mean really far-fetched. And uh, the extent, though, to what, to what they will go to, or uh, to which they will go to in order to avoid saying that there is, in fact, a God is just incredible to me. So listen to this one. This is actually what someone come up with. A germ hitchhiked on the back of a meteor that crashed into the earth bringing life and the spark necessary for the, genera for generating, for the generating of life in the process of evolution. Um, one that is, is really at the, at the heart and core of evolution of our, our, our more, uh, what we, we see today, is spontaneous generation, which basically just means that it happened, poof, it showed up. 
That's really at the core of it. It really is. Directed panspermia, I think is what it's called. Um, life, now listen to this one. Life was brought or sent from another planet. That actually came from a fellow by the name of Francis Crick. He was the guy that, this is, this is legitimate. He was the guy who in 1962 won the Nobel, Nobel Prize for discovering the nature of DNA molecules. So this is no dummy. Okay, so he says basically that life was brought or sent from another from another planet. I don't know if that I, I don't know if that was one of the th theories that he had. I don't know if that's specific, but that's one of the things that he shared. Um, fourth, here's another one: multiple universe model, where it which says that infinite number of universes being produced out there by some eternal energy source. One of these universes are bound to have been produced with the right environmental DNA for life. Um, not sure where all that comes from. But I mean, even if these explanations were even plausible, did you notice what's missing? They still don't answer one very important question. Did you see it? Where did it come from? Right? What caused it? What caused that germ? What, where did the alien come from? What created this, this self-generating universe machine? See, for many years, scientists believed that the universe was actually eternal, that it, it had always existed in one form or another. And, and science really seemed to support such an idea. And I won't get into the technical of all that, but as a result of that, they actually believed that the universe didn't have a beginning. And so with that understanding, they felt that they were able to really reduce that biblical idea of... Um, the, 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 the biblical idea that the universe had a beginning, they, they felt like they could reduce that to nothing more than just you know, a, a matter of religious faith that, that for which there was no shred of evidence for. No shred of scientific evidence. Well, and it gave evolutionists, the, I, I would say, their greatest ally in the argument for natural selection or for evolution. And that ally was time. If the universe always existed, then give enough time, this is, their, this is their formula, given enough time, anything can happen. Well, the only problem is in the early 20th century and into the mid-20th century, a change began to take place um, because some discoveries were made, uh, most notably the second law of thermodynamics. Um, discoveries in astronomy and physics showed beyond a reasonable doubt that our universe did, in fact, have a beginning. Prior to that moment, there was nothing. During and after that moment, there was something, our universe. And one of the things that they have discovered is that our universe is, in fact, running down. That's what the second law of thermodynamics is talking about. It is decaying. It is, it is, it is dying. Um, and, and, and so it's the... the, the what they really understand is, is that our universe is, is, is kind of going, running down like a wound up clock, so to speak. And if it's running down, then they kind of come up with, well, if it's running down, well, then it has to have somehow, at some point, there had to have been a time when it was wound up. And so then they start reversing the process. If it's running down, well, let's go back in the other direction. So that discovery led scientists to believe that the universe had a beginning point somehow and somewhere 
they conclude it all started. And what's really interesting is that now most scientists today, a majority of them, accept what is called the claim argument, you know, which we mentioned earlier. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. The universe had a beginning. We can say that for sure now. We know that scientifically. Therefore, the universe has a cause. But that's what got the whole Big Bang going, right? That's what led to the Big Bang. The theory that says that the universe began with this cosmic explosion. Well, actually, it doesn't say that. It actually says that there was this tiny, tiny ball that was so compact and it was just full of energy, but it was just compact and it was somewhere back there. It was kind of stuck, just stuck, couldn't move, nothing was happening. It was just stuck back there somewhere that always existed, it says, and that the Big Bang was what set it off. The point is, is that the universe, we know, had an ultimate beginning. But what's so amazing is that now, with this theory, scientists are really, in fact, moving closer and closer toward the biblical account, whether some of them want to believe that or not. Dr. Jastrow, uh, uh, we mentioned him earlier, he's the director of NASA's, Na NASA's Goddard Institute, and he claims also to be an agnostic. But this is what he said. Listen to, listen to this quote. Now we see how the astronomical, astronomy in other words, how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The details differ, but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. He's an agnostic. The chain of events leading to man commenced suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of light and energy. The late Chuck Colson said once, when you take the implication that the universe began at a definite moment in time in the flash of light and energy, then science has really begun to sound eerily like Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, right? See, the Big Bang, it's just an attempt to explain a beginning without a beginner. Or more scientifically, it's, a, it's an attempt to explain an effect without a cause. But what they fail to explain is what came before the Big Bang. What caused that? Not long ago, I was sleeping pretty soundly. I was... Uh, uh, it was in the middle of the night, and Susan and I, we were, um, we were fast asleep. And, you know, you, anybody ever just get shaken up in the middle of the night because you hear something like that? You, so we all know what that experience was like. Well, that was what it was like. I mean, I, I think I was in a deep sleep. And all of a sudden, uh, there was this big bang, pun intended, and something crashed. And so you're just like, whoa, what is that? And you wake right up, and Susan's like, what, 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 what happened? We're both just kind of there, and I, I woke up. I was startled. I was kind of confused and, and kind of scared. I mean, it just kind of, it was so startling, and it scared both of us. And, well, I did what any self-respecting man could do. Uh, I gave my wife, or I told my wife where the gun was and told her to go check it out, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I didn't. I got up. I went. I checked it out. But why did I do that? Why did I do that? 
Well, because common sense tells me that loud bangs in the middle of the night do not create themselves. There had to have been a cause. There was, in fact, a cause. One of those command hooks, you know, that you, you pull the thing off, you put it on, you stick it to the wall, you're supposed to hold it for a half minute and whatever, it's supposed to hold everything up. One of those command hooks was holding Susan's hair dryer. And, and in the middle of the night, about 2 or 3 in the morning, it decided to let loose and all of a sudden, bling, 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 and it's just all over and, and whatever was down below it just crashed everything. And uh, that's what made the noise. That would scare you out of your sleep, I think. But see, here's the thing. If you had this little ball of energy, if, if, if that little ball of energy had always been there, wouldn't it have remained all bundled up of this little, wouldn't it have been, you know, this little ball remained a bundled up ball of, of contained energy? Unless something outside of it acted on it. I mean, where did it come from? We know from the first law of thermodynamics that ma matter cannot create itself. We know that scientifically. That, that we know that from the laws of physics. But see, if you reject God, then you are left with the idea of a self-creating universe, which is a contradictory statement that defies the simple laws of logic and, and of physics. I mean, if you go home today and you recognize that uh, you know, your windows are closed, you're, they're locked, there's no sign of forced entry, and you go home and you find a baby elephant in your living room. Okay? Your first thought is not going to be, oh, wow, look what created itself in my living room while it was gone. Right? You will ask the question, automatic, I guarantee you're going to go, how did that get there? Right? And more than that, you're going to be asking, who put it there? Who's the idiot that's playing this prank on me and why and L, okay? Well, some then will ask this question. Well, who in fact, if everything has a cause, what about God? Well, you remember what the law says? The law says that everything with the beginning has a cause and if the universe has a, has a beginning, it has a cause. But see, God not being a part of time, God being eternal, God is above time, time itself, is a creation of God. He can enter into it, but is not subject to its limitations. Why we see some of the things that Jesus was able to do. Now, I, ha I have to, st I'll, I'll stop right there and I'll, I'll admit to you, it takes faith to believe that God is eternal. That is a matter of faith. It takes faith to believe that God has always been and that He always will be. You cannot completely remove the necessity of faith on our end. But note this, it requires faith on their end as well. You will either believe that by faith that God is eternal, or you will believe that, that matter is eternal, that ball of energy tightly wound without life and without personality, or without intelligent and just waiting to explode that that matter is eternal. One or the other. Either way, you are asked to believe that something is eternal. Neither is, is, is observable. The, the scientific method is based upon observation and experimentation. You will have to be able to test it. You, you have to be able to test it in a laboratory. So evolution doesn't qualify. It's still a theory 
and they forget that and they don't teach that. Well, James Merritt, a professor at Purdue University, he's a PhD from Oxford, he was boasting to us, this is, this is a really a, a, a cool quote, it's, it's, he was boasting to his class that he was an atheist, but, but he did it in such a refreshingly honest way. But here's what he said. He said, even as the evangelical Christian accepts God by faith, he says, I reject the idea of God by faith. I cannot reject God by reason alone. You hear that? For there is too much evidence for his existence. By faith, I am, a, I am an atheist, he says. See, his statement is closer to the biblical truth that we find in, in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, which says that the fool says in, heart, in his heart that there is no God. I mean, not that he is intellectually stupid or lacking, but spiritually deficient. It is a choice. Make no mistake about it. It is a choice not to believe. That's what the Bible says. There is evidence. The universe declares, the universe cries out for a creator, and the fool says, I don't want any. Adrian Rogers says that it's like seeing pie on the table, and you know it's there, and you just simply say, no pie for me. I choose not to take any. Um, G.K. Chesterton once said, it is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that, is un that it is unthinkable for an admittedly thinkable or admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into anything. Well, as we close today, I just want to say simply this. There's what, we, what we kind of started out with is talking about some of the arguments for God's existence. If you buy into that little ball of energy theory, you still have to come up with answers to our complex universe, the, the evidence that we have around us of intricate design, especially our bodies themselves. It's the argument for an intelligent designer, and that's what we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks. But um, I want us to think about that and just to be able to, um, to think about how we can... I, 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 don't, I, don't always, I don't feel like this is something that we're trying to slam people with but to when the occasions arise when people talk about things for us to be able to know without beyond a shadow of doubt that our faith is in fact reasonable, logical, that it is something that, that, um, that there is evidence for. It's not a blind thing, and that would uh, do us well to recognize that. Let's pray together. Father, we believe, we believe that you not only exist we believe that you not only created this universe that we now are a part of, um, but we also believe that you are a personal God. We believe, God, that, that you have a purpose for each of our lives and that you want a relationship with us, that you have a purpose for all of your creation, and it's a purpose for which we are a part. And Father, I just pray that you would guide us in that way to to uh, living out our purpose that is in you, that you would help us to see the things that you want us to be a part of and to do and, and to be, and um, that we would not uh, ignore those things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.